This week on the Love Good Podcast, we're diving into our fourth principle of prayer. Everybody, welcome back. This is Jimmy Mitchell. I have the privilege of being not only host of the Love Good Podcast, but the instructor for Let Beauty Speak, which is a brand new course available exclusively to Love Good patrons. You've got to get involved. You've got to get subscribed. If you're not yet already, check out lovegoodacademy.com for all the details. For as little as $10 a month, you get full access to this incredible new formation platform that's empowering countless Christians across the world to evangelize through beauty, to really allow our faith to be something captivating, something that arrests the attention of our post-Christian culture and ultimately points people back to God. And so today we're diving into the fourth principle in this course called Let Beauty Speak, which is the introductory course to Love Good Academy. It's also the fourth chapter of my brand new book called Let Beauty Speak, subtitle, The Art of Being Human in a Culture of Noise. And the only way that you can get your hands on a copy of this book is, again, subscribing as a Love Good patron at lovegoodacademy.com. So check it out. Get on board. I'll be back in just a moment as we dive into our fourth principle of prayer. Easily one of the most intense experiences of my entire life took place in Lochderg, Ireland. Now, I don't know how many of you have been abroad or how many of you maybe are even from Europe, uh, but obviously the United Kingdom, which includes so many beautiful countries, uh, specifically Ireland, uh, is a place that many of us who are Catholic in America can look to and say, well, our, our faith, our, our heritage comes from there. And that's certainly true for me. I'm an Irish Catholic. It's pretty much my entire uh, family tree on one side. And I got to say, I've, I've been to Ireland only twice, and both times were not quite what I was expecting. The first time, I was in Dublin for the weekend, and I was a little shocked, if not totally scandalized, by the fact that every beautiful church I walked into wasn't a Catholic church. I mean, this was just my own ignorance on what happened after King Henry VIII broke away from the Catholic Church back in the you know early 16th century when he declared himself head of the church in England, uh, that also took on a whole new reality, uh, for example, in Ireland, where you know I'm, I'm used to hearing about Anglicans and, and, and the Church of England, but there's also the Church of Ireland, which slowly, if not quite uh, quickly, and I would say in some ways violently, took over many of the Catholic churches in Ireland, just like they did many of the Catholic churches in England. So don't get me started. This is this is a topic that I, I love debating and thinking about and getting fired up about, because even in my trips today, when I had the privilege of going abroad and spending some time in England specifically, it's almost like a forgotten part of, of history. Uh, for 300 plus years, it was illegal to be Catholic in England. That's kind of a big deal. So many of us who, in fact, have that kind of English-Irish heritage, but somehow have maintained the Catholic faith, it's probably because of our Irish descent or our Irish side of the family tree. And so I definitely expected a little bit more Catholic culture, a little bit more Catholic devotion when I showed up in Dublin, Ireland the first time. But when I went back the second time, I was only flying into Dublin, and I immediately went to this, this island called Loch Derg. And it's in uh, Station Island in County Donegal. It's a beautiful, beautiful place with a lot of history. And legend has it that Loch Derg was a destination for Christians dating all the way back 
to the time of St. Patrick. So we're talking about a place of pilgrimage, a place of prayer, a place of retreat, okay? So this is about 1,500 years of history that I'm stepping into, and it was August of 2016. I'm with three or four of my closest friends. The crazy thing is it was really the height of the summer, but there was no sun anywhere to be seen. It was cold. There was a persistent rain. Within the first few minutes of our boat ride to get to the island, our guide told us that we weren't going to sleep for the next 40 hours. Next thing you know, we find out that we're not going to eat except one meal a day consisting of dry toast and coffee. And the real problem is that we were some of the last pilgrims to show up on this island, which again, it's a, it's a famous place not just to visit, but to pray. People spend days, sometimes weeks, on this island, and one of the most famous ways to pray on this island is to do this 72-hour prayer rotation, prayer sort of campaign, where you show up and you're told pretty quickly that you're going to pray 1,400 Hail Marys, over 800 Our Fathers, 270 Apostles' Creeds, as you go barefoot uh, and proceed to follow these other pilgrims uh, in these series of prayers and mortifications that just slowly build them, you know, build off of each other over time. It's very intense. It's very intimidating, as you can probably imagine. Uh, and it was unlike anything I had ever done before. It felt like I was stepping into the Iron Man of Catholic pilgrimages. And there's this one moment where every, I guess, hour to hour and a half, you would circle the basilica as you're saying your prayers. This is a basilica on the island. And you would put your back to the basilica as you faced the the lake, the the sea before you, and you would say out loud with your hands outstretched in the form of a cross, you would say, I renounce the world, the flesh, and the devil. You would say it three times in front of whoever happened to be walking by. And I got to say, that was sort of the heart of the pilgrimage for me. In this very radical way, as I'm entering into prayer and mortification, what what is sometimes nicknamed St. Patrick's Purgatory on Earth, uh, I'm, I'm renouncing the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm saying yes to Christ. I'm, in a sense, renewing my baptismal vows, rejecting Satan and all of his ways, and yet again saying, Jesus, I, I believe in you, and I believe in your love and in your redemption. So it was intense, and as these 72 hours unfolded, it was like the, uh, the ebb and the flow of the pilgrimage. It slowly expanded my receptivity to God's grace. So, you know, there were times of prayer and even quiet reflection amidst all the Hail Marys and the Our Fathers, and it was in those moments that I found an honesty and a humility that had been missing from my life for quite some time. So on the last day of this pilgrimage, I I make a a good confession, and I have a, a solid night of sleep, and then I walk into the Basilica for the closing Mass. I'll never forget what this felt like. I I saw this little plaque near the entrance that read, I am the door enter and be safe, which is a paraphrase from the Gospel of John. This is John 10, 9. I am the door. This is what our Lord says. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It's hard to explain, but my eyes immediately welled up with tears. I was suddenly struck by God's protection and providence over my life up until that point. You know, you have these moments in life where you can suddenly see things almost as God sees them. You can see yourself and even your life as God sees them. And I was utterly uh, overwhelmed by His goodness, by His provision, by His protection, by His faithfulness. In fact, it was 
only recently that I heard an incredible talk, actually a testimony from a young man at the school that I, I work at. And his opening line was about the day he found out his mother had cancer. And the, the several months that followed, which were full of certain moments of discouragement, maybe even despair. And then one day, you know, he's in adoration. And while he's in adoration, he hears a voice. He believes the voice of God that says, your mother will be healed. And obviously that was a, a profound consolation to him in the moment. And it wasn't long after that that, you know, he was actually thinking about becoming Catholic. He wasn't yet Catholic himself, but was on a retreat at a Catholic high school, found himself in adoration, had this profound moment where the Lord spoke to him, and he really sensed that it was an opening in his heart, right, to, to believe that perhaps God could be found in the Catholic Church. And so it wasn't but a few months later he decided to join RCIA, this Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults. It's the program for anybody who's interested in becoming Catholic, and we happen to have one at the high school I work at down here in Tampa. And so over the next several months, he really pressed into the Catholic faith. He started reading a lot of Scott Hahn and praying the rosary and doing all these dangerous things that obviously is going to lead anybody ultimately into the, the fullness of the faith, the Catholic Church. And so by the end of the springtime, so May of his junior year, he ends up going through with it, and he becomes Catholic. And he shares this entire testimony, and then at the very end, and he says, oh, by the way, God was faithful to his promise. My mother is cancer-free. And as he gave this testimony, this is in front of the entire student body only about uh, three weeks ago, I again welled up with tears, overwhelmed by just this idea of God's fidelity. It's exactly what happened to me in Loch Derg four or five years ago. I was overwhelmed with God's faithfulness. I could suddenly see all the ways in which he had been a father, the ways in which he had showed up in my life again and again and really uh, provided for me, delighted in me as his beloved son, uh, cleared a path and protected me and also opened up doors for me that I could have never opened up myself. myself. So I would call it an extraordinary grace that I received there at Loch Derg, and it culminated with Holy Communion at Mass, you know, about 30 minutes later. So, okay, maybe not all of us are going to have this crazy experience in adoration, right, where God speaks to us and we can then proclaim His fidelity over this promise of healing in the life of someone that we really care about, like our mom who maybe has cancer in the case of this young man. You know, or in my case, you may not have an opportunity to go to Loch Derg and experience 72 hours of intense prayer and fasting, only to be overwhelmed by God's love and fidelity on the, the last day at the closing Mass. But I must say, you know, while many of us may not have these crazy, wild opportunities to go abroad or to do something crazy like Loch Derg, all of us do have the opportunity every single day to enter into the fire of God's love in daily prayer. So this is really what our fourth principle is all about, entering into a loving dialogue with God every single day. So let's begin by just understanding what prayer is. Well, first and foremost, it's a lifting of one's heart to God. That's how St. Therese describes it. Uh, Teresa of Avila, she says it's being on terms of friendship with God. Uh, this is the reality that our, our soul needs prayer like our lungs need oxygen, right? Uh, this is so integrated with the rest of our principles, as we talked about last week, you know, the, the friendship that we ultimately all long for is the one that's only possible 
through prayer with God. Uh, we could also talk about you know, prayer being the highest form of leisure, which is the principle we'll talk about next week. Uh, I would say that prayer is also the undergirding, the, the foundation of all of our best work. If, if work is going to sanctify us, even the most practical and mundane of tasks, day in and day out, then in fact they, they must be rooted in prayer. So kind of an amazing thing to, to, to realize that, that prayer is integrated in all of our principles, but you know, it's the deepest seat of our soul. It's, it's where we come to know God as both infinite creator and, and intimate friend. Uh, just a few years ago, uh, one of my favorite actors, Chris Pratt, uh, he received what's called the Generation Award from uh, MTV, and he's sitting there at the MTV Awards graciously receiving this and very boldly proclaims the immortality of the soul and the importance of prayer. And there was some like very hilarious and awkward words of advice thrown into this, but uh, these, are the, these are the rules that Chris Pratt gave to the world uh, that I think for him was a way of investing in the next generation and, and pointing to the importance of prayer. So uh, number two, he says, you have a soul. Be careful with it. And then he goes on three, four, and five, probably, probably ridiculous. Number six, he says, God is real. God loves you. God wants the best for you. Believe that. I do. And then number eight, this is how it culminates. Chris Pratt says, learn to pray. It's easy and it's so good for your soul. And then he goes on, finally, number nine, nobody is perfect. People are going to tell you you're perfect just the way you are. You're not. You are imperfect. You always will be. But there is a powerful force that designed you that way. And if you're willing to accept that, you will have grace. And grace is a gift. And like the freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with someone else's blood. Do not forget it. Don't take it for granted. End quote. I got to say, these are pretty gutsy remarks, you know, in a world that has left God behind. I mean, we're living in a post-Christian culture. What do I mean by that? Well, we used to be, to some extent, a, a Christian culture in America. This was certainly true of Europe, you know, in centuries past. But the very idea in today's world that human beings have immortal souls is revolutionary. You know, I, I would say rare are the corporate, political, and even religious leaders who teach us how to look beyond the here and now, right? So if we don't have prayer, if we don't have an interior life, if we don't believe in a spiritual realm, then frankly, we'll never look for anything beyond our senses. We kind of fall into this mindset of thinking that if, you know, if we can't see it, we can't hear it, we can't touch it, well, then we're definitely not going to believe it's real. Uh, I would call it rationalism gone wild. Chesterton, in his semi-autobiographical masterpiece, Orthodoxy, he calls it plain old materialism and, frankly, an embarrassing lack of imagination. There's a, there's a point in this book where he begins talking about Mr. McCabe, who claims to be a materialist, and this is what he says, quote, Mr. McCabe thinks me a slave because I am not allowed to believe in determinism. Well, I think Mr. McCabe a slave because he is not allowed to believe in fairies. But if we examine the two vetoes, we shall see that his is really much more of a pure veto than mine. The Christian is quite free to believe that there is a considerable amount of settled order and inevitable development in the universe. But the materialist is not allowed to admit into his spotless machine the slightest speck of spiritualism or miracle. Poor Mr. McCabe is not allowed to retain even the tiniest imp, though it might be hiding in a pimpernel." End quote. 
I love this. I love this, that in fact, for a Christian, we don't deny hardly anything. Okay, a pure materialist denies anything that can't be seen, heard, touched, tasted, right? Smell. But for those of us who are Christians, we believe in a spiritual realm. We believe ultimately in a God who is pure spirit, philosophically speaking. So how can we really even tap into the, the dignity that we have, the immortality of our soul, if we don't have some sense again, in this spiritual realm, and where else do we tap into that than through our life of prayer? You know, it's, it's prayer that allows us to enter into friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ and cultivate our lifelong discipleship with Him. It's prayer that elevates our soul. It purifies our desires. It has a way of giving us a peace beyond all understanding. And ultimately, I believe prayer is what reminds us of the most important truth of all, that we are infinitely loved. There's all kinds of different forms of prayer. I just want to touch very quickly upon four of them. And in fact, you could say that all prayer falls under one of these four categories. So first, there's prayers of thanksgiving, which you know that refers to any moment in which we lift our hearts to God, that we give thanks to Him for what He's done for us. This is so key if we want to be really living the joy of the gospel. We've got to have hearts full of gratitude so that the overflow of that gratitude can be a life of joy. Secondly, there's praise, right? This is adoration and worship of God, just for His sheer goodness. It's giving Him glory because of who He is. It's at the heart of worship. The greatest and highest form of praise is, of course, the Mass, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And then this third category of prayer, petition, it's simply asking God for the things that we need. So, these can be specific graces, these, these can be full-blown miracles, but it's key that whenever we're asking God for something, we've got to be bold, and we've got to be specific. He loves bold and specific prayers. So important. And then finally, the fourth category of prayer is intercession. This is when we pray for others. This is lifting up the needs of others, whether we're praying for you know a grandmother with cancer or the conversion of a friend. There's, there's certain graces that God sets aside, almost, you could say, withholds uh, in, until intercessory prayer is pumping. I mean, there are graces that He specifically wants to give us only and through intercessory prayer. So it's kind of an amazing thing. We, we often forget how powerful prayers can be. So I, I think prayer is where we ultimately remember who we are as beloved sons and daughters. And for those of us you know, who are Catholic, there's so many different forms of prayer, so many different devotions that we can tap into. I would say that you know, the whole thing is ultimately about cultivating a, a childlike wonder and awe. You know, I'll never forget being 14 years old and kneeling on a concrete floor on a retreat with a bunch of my high school friends, and for the first time in Eucharistic adoration, realizing that God was God and I wasn't. This was a huge moment. This launched a relationship of love with God that I had never thought possible before. So it's really key to, to pray like a child, as our Lord says, uh, in the words of St. John Henry Newman, to, to pray heart unto heart, core ad core loquitur, to allow the heart of God to speak unto our hearts, to allow eternity to touch down in our soul. You know, think about the great mystics and saints and martyrs who have gone before us. They're always pointing us to this rhythm of prayer that has been the churches since the earliest centuries. 
So as I mentioned earlier, the highest form of prayer, of course, being the, the holy sacrifice at the Mass. For those who are priests or religious or just very dedicated and pious lay people, you're probably very familiar with what's called Liturgy of the Hours. It's almost an overflow of the Mass, but it is you know, the official prayer of the Church. Morning prayer, evening prayer, night prayer, just to name a few. The, the monks of our great uh, faith and, and history have been praying seven, eight times a day uh, for centuries uh, through this Liturgy of the Hours. It's a way of praying through Scripture. It's a way of uh, really uniting our prayers with those of the universal Church across every time zone, across every century. And Liturgy of the Hours has been untouched as a form of prayer, uh, dating all the way back to the, the 6th century. So we're talking 1,500 years, all the way back to the time of St. Benedict. You know, I've talked a lot about my experiences in adoration. Many of you have probably had very similarly transformative experiences before the Blessed Sacrament. You know, we could talk about the, the Blessed Mother and especially the role that the Rosary has played down through the centuries in passing on the faith. I mean, think about the world before there was the printing press, the world before there was literacy. Most people learn the faith through the rosary, through stained glass windows, through the passing on the faith, uh, uh, oral tradition, through family and friends. Obviously, again, for those who are Catholic, the, the great sacrament of reconciliation. I mean, we got to go regularly if we want to be on the fast track to, to deepening, our, deepening our intimacy with God. You know, we're not just forgiven of our sins after every good confession, we're delivered from them. This is a big deal. Then I'd say that uh, kind of beyond these liturgical, devotional, and vocal prayers, it's so important to, to have a habit of what we call mental prayer. And, and mental prayer doesn't necessarily mean like in your head. It actually probably means more so in your heart. St. Alphonsus de Liguori, for example, he says this about mental prayer, and I quote, Some say many vocal prayers, but he who does not make mental prayer will scarcely say his vocal prayers with attention. He will say them with distractions, and the Lord will not hear him. Many cry to God, says St. Augustine, but not with the voice of the soul, but with the voice of the body. Only the cry of the heart of the soul reaches God. It is not enough to pray only with the tongue. We must, according to the apostle, pray also with the heart if we wish to receive God's graces, praying at all times in the Spirit. And by experience, we see that many persons who recite a great number of vocal prayers, the office and the rosary, fall into sin and continue to live in sin. But he who attends to mental prayer scarcely ever falls into sin. End quote. Similarly, St. Teresa of Avila powerfully admonishes, and she writes, If you do not practice mental prayer, you don't need any devil to throw you into hell. You throw yourself in there of your own accord. On the contrary, give me the greatest of all sinners. If he practices mental prayer, be it only for 15 minutes every day, he will be converted. End quote. You know, whether it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes or, or an hour, we've got to practice mental prayer every single day. You know, before we can be great missionaries, we've got to be great mystics. And the way that that happens best is, of course, through prayer, especially this ongoing, loving dialogue of the heart with God Himself. Now, for those of you who have a copy of our Orazio prayer book, you'll notice that beginning on page 85 in Let Beauty Speak, I, I basically pull a story that was originally published as an introduction to the new edition of Orazio, and it's this story of being in New York with tens of thousands of other Catholics as we heard this incredible talk from Pope Benedict XVI. 
And it was beautiful. It was unforgettable for me as a 22-year-old who was at the time on his way to seminary. And during the climax of Pope Benedict's electric speech that day, he very beautifully proclaimed, and I quote, What matters most is that you develop your personal relationship with God. That relationship is expressed in prayer. God, by his very nature, speaks, hears, and replies. Indeed, St. Paul reminds us that we can and should pray constantly, far from turning in on ourselves or withdrawing from the ups and downs of life. By praying, we turn towards God and through him to each other, including the marginalized and those following ways other than God's path. As the saints teach us so vividly, prayer becomes hope in action. Christ was their constant companion, with whom they conversed at every step of their journey for others. End quote. So the question for all of us is, what role is prayer going to play in making us more human and empowering us to evangelize our culture of noise? You know, is prayer the most powerful foundation of our lives? Do we believe that? Are we living our lives according to that? Do we set aside the time? Do we put in the work to make prayer a priority so that it remains the foundation for our apostolic life? You know, whether that's a weekend at Loch Derg or a contemplative escape into a cave, God is calling us deeper. For most of us, it probably means setting aside a corner of our bedroom with some sacred images and maybe even putting up some kind of a kneeler where we can spend a few minutes every day, whether it's at the beginning or at the end or ideally both, really allowing ourselves uh, to be firmly rooted in God's love first and foremost. And again, as I mentioned not that long ago, you know, prayer is so integrated in all of our other principles. We've already talked about wonder, freedom, and friendship, which is great. But as we move forward, there's so many more integrations to consider. You know, principle number five is, is leisure. And again, as we said, prayer is the highest form of leisure. Principle number six is work. If we want work to sanctify us, it's got to be rooted in prayer. Principle number seven is community. The greatest and the strongest and the healthiest of communities pray together. Have a have a common life of prayer. Principle number eight is suffering. Well, how in the world are we going to suffer well without prayer? It's not possible. We've got to be connected to the vine if we're going to suffer in a way that actually helps Jesus save souls. Principle number nine is mission, really believing and, and discerning and living our life mission. And again, there's, there's no better foundation for the apostolic life than the spiritual life, the interior life. And then finally, our, our principle number 10, which is culture. You know, we could go on and on about these other principles, but just think about the culture that we find in the Trinity itself, right? What is culture but a shared way of life, a, a common way of being? And where do we see that more perfectly than in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? This is a, a furious love affair between God in his three persons. I'm always hesitant to talk about the Trinity because I feel like I'm just always one bad sentence away from heresy. But the point is that God is a love affair in his very being, right? And that prayer is how we tap into that. And of course, if we're tapped into this perfect culture that is God himself, that's going to overflow into how we rebuild Christian culture all around us, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, and everywhere that we find ourselves. So, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a great privilege. I could have gone on and on and on about prayer. This is one of my favorite things to talk about, but I'm trying to keep 
these episodes nice and succinct so I don't give you too much of the meat from the book. Uh, And for those of you who are reading along or maybe listening to these episodes and then reading the chapters, that's great. Uh, But know that the Love Good Academy course, okay, titled after the book, Let Beauty Speak, is a much deeper dive. There's a lot more references to the writings of great saints and literary giants. Uh, It's much more storytelling than even I'm doing here on the podcast. So again, if you're not yet a Love Good patron, if you don't yet have access to Love Good Academy, subscribe right now. Go to lovegoodacademy.com. Subscribe for as little as $10 a month to get full access to this brand new formation platform. You'll also immediately get my new book and a really awesome exclusive patron t-shirt in the mail. Uh, And I'm just telling you guys, this is a great thing to do with family and with friends. Uh, Everywhere I turn, people are buying these books and forming small groups, reading through it together, diving into the formation platform together. And just know that even as I'm recording this episode, I have the privilege of hosting Dr. Ryan Hanning here in Tampa for a few days. Next week, right after Christmas, I'll be hosting Father Ryan Adorjan. After my course is complete and we've kind of released a new principal and a new class every Monday, uh, we'll be, believe it or not, hitting our next package as early as March 1st, which means there's going to be a new book, there's going to be a new course, and obviously you can imagine why Dr. Ryan Hanning and Father Ryan Adorjan are in Tampa. It's to record our next couple of courses that we'll release in the spring package coming out the first week of March, and the summer package in the first week of June. So what you're experiencing here and now is just a taste of what's to come. God bless you guys. Continue to keep me in your prayers and be sure to my prayers for you as well. We'll see you next week as we dive into our next principle of leisure. Peace. Peace.